In our morning services, we've been looking at the theme of our vision as a church. We felt very much as a leadership team led to go over this vision, and we've talked about proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today, being a church on mission, and uh, we very much want that to be the hallmark of this church. We're a church on mission. Every time we leave these doors on a Sunday morning, we're going out on mission to serve the Lord in whatever way we can and wherever we are. Over these past number of weeks, we've been looking at the theme of discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and not just have the label Christian, uh, because uh, many people don't actually know what that means, but to actually say that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And much of what I want to say to you this morning will probably be uh, familiar ground to you if you're a follower of Jesus, but I felt very compelled about this um, theme this morning, that as disciples of Jesus Christ, our faith is securely founded on God's word, on the truth of God's word. It is securely founded on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that nothing, no one, No argument, no circumstance can ever take away the cross of Jesus Christ, that he died for us to set us free, that he rose from the dead, that he is coming again. Our faith is based on those. And it's securely and firmly founded on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we open up ourselves again and again and again for the Holy Spirit to have his way in us and through us. Billy Graham, who is probably the greatest statesman, certainly of the evangelical church in the 20th and 21st centuries, now in his 90s, still preaching the gospel. If you trace his ministry, there were two pivotal points that he would identify that caused a change in those early years. One is an amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit. He had a huge hunger for more of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he would not stop pursuing more of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like he had an amazing encounter and then that was it to last him for his ministry. He would not stop pursuing more of the Holy Spirit. And the other thing that marked him out was, and still does, is a a firm belief in the truth of Scripture. And it... In those early days when he was a very young evangelist, um, and in those days there was a whole um, sort of movement towards liberalization within the church of Jesus Christ, of actually picking and choosing what was true in the Bible and discarding what was considered untrue. And he made a decision. He, he fell on his knees before God one night and he just surrendered. He said to the Lord, I, d- I don't understand everything in this book. I do not understand it all, but I will believe it because it is your word. And he surrendered himself to the authority and the truth of Scripture. And I believe that that had a profound effect on his ministry because when he spoke, he spoke with authority. Not Billy Graham's authority, but he always spoke from the authority of the word of God. And I believe that we as a church 
need to just affirm that in our lives. That we believe in the authority of the word of God. We stand securely under what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we are hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great man of God, who actually was uh, executed by the Nazi regime, stood against Hitler as one of the very few church leaders in Germany at that time to make a stand. But he says this about the word of God. It is not our judgment of the situation which can show us what is wise, but only the truth of the word of God. Here alone lies the promise of God's faithfulness and help. It will always be true. It will always be the wisest course for the disciple to abide solely in the word of God in all simplicity. And kind of the question that I raise this morning to myself and to you is, do we believe the word of God? Or are we swayed? by the circumstances of our lives and the feelings of our lives. Do we believe our feelings or do we believe the word of God? Now, of course, we would all say, yes, the word of God, Phil. If I were to ask you the question in a different way, which do you listen to the most? Your feelings or the word of God? It's harder to answer, isn't it? Eugene Peterson, uh, who writes an amazing book on discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If uh, you'd like a great read, if you're going on holiday in the summer and you've never read it, please do get hold of it. It's fantastic. And uh, I'm going to just quote from him in a few minutes' time. But I want to read uh, two portions of scripture this morning. The first is Psalm 121. If you want to follow it in your own Bibles, or it should appear on the screen as well. And then from Romans chapter 8. So Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Or the literal reading is from all evil. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And then from Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 28. And now we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. 
what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? You see, Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. A quote from Eugene Peterson, a statement he makes in his book. The moment we say no to the world and yes to Jesus, all our problems are solved. All our questions are answered. All our troubles are over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of our souls. We are always at peace with God. He's been ironic, just in case you're all getting worried. Gosh. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. Nothing and no one can upset the enjoyable relationship which I have with Jesus Christ through faith. We Christians are among the privileged company of people who don't have accidents. We never get sick. We don't have arguments with our spouses. We are never misunderstood. And our children are as close to angels as you could get. And he goes on to say, sorry, this is Eugene's sermon this morning. If any of these things should happen, a crushing doubt, a squall of anger, an accident, a distressing diagnosis, a desperate loneliness, or just an argument that puts us in the doghouse, a rebellion that puts us on the defensive, a misunderstanding that takes us out of relationship. We can feel failures as Christians. I don't know, I won't take a straw poll if any of us today have ever felt a failure as a Christian. It can be over some circumstance, it can be over some sin in our lives. And we can consciously question or unconsciously question whether we really are followers of Jesus Christ, or worse, actually, whether God, impatient with our fickle faith, 
has moved on to care for someone else who is much more deserving of his attention. And all these things I've heard people say who are followers of Jesus Christ. Is that what we believe? That a circumstance in our lives can actually undo what God has done for us? Is that what we believe? That if we actually fail God, he turns his back on us and doesn't want to know us anymore? Have we not understood why Jesus came? If that's what we believe, here is good news for each of us. We are wrong. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's good to be shown you are wrong for the good. A personal illustration. Chris is here this morning. I don't think I've ever shared this, Chris, but my mind's a little bit hazy, so do put me right if I get this illustration wrong. A few years ago, it was one of our first mission trips to Romania. And in those days, we went by minibus. It was quite an exciting journey. It would take three days. And uh, as I recall, on our way back once, we were driving through Austria. And we had a problem with the wheel, didn't we? And uh, we, we took a vow of secrecy, but... There, it's like the government, every kind of so many years, you can let out a secret. We had a problem with the wheel, and um, we called into one of these lovely Austrian service stations, and we tried as hard as we could to get the wheel off. I say we uh, in the royal sense, because uh, not much help. Chris actually did a lot of the hard work. <laughs> Okay. And although we tried and tried to get the wheel off, we couldn't budge it at all. Finally, we had to call the equivalent of the Austrian AA or RAC. And this big man came with a big truck, with a big wrench thing, technical term. And he managed to get the wheel off. Am I right? And then he informed us that the threads on the bolt on that particular van went the other way. <laughs> and as hard as we were trying to get it off, all we were doing were tightening the nuts up. Of course, I didn't make much progress, but Chris did a really good job of <laughs> tightening it up. But we were really pleased to be proved wrong because we actually got the wheel off and we were on our way soon after that. Sometimes we don't like being proved wrong. But if it is for our good, then we need to embrace it. For some of us, the greatest surprise of the Christian faith has been the trouble we have encountered when we made a step of faith to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or whenever we step out in faith to a new venture, we are surprised the trouble we face. 
those who get baptized often say, They've had a brilliant week and the the week before the baptism was amazing and the baptism was fantastic, but then the week afterwards somehow was really hard. There were difficulties. There were things that came into their lives that they didn't expect because they're expecting victorious living. We're Christians. And we're rudely introduced to the reality of when we start following Jesus or we step out in something new for Jesus that actually we put ourselves on the very front line of the spiritual battle. And the enemy comes just to tip us off course. If we were to realize that we were signing up for fighting the good fight, Faith is always tested. Sometimes it feels no sooner we've plunged expectantly and enthusiastically into this sort of water of faith that we get our noses full of water and we come up coughing and spluttering. And that's not just baptism, but that's how we feel. Yet if we look at Jesus' ministry, after he publicly announced himself in baptism, And John had said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes out into the wilderness, fasts, 40 days, 40 nights, and the enemy comes, even to the Son of God, and tempts him to go off course. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. 40 days, 40 nights without food. And Jesus responds in his humanity. He doesn't overcome the enemy in his deity. He overcomes the enemy in his humanity. And he refuses to put his father to the test. And when the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world, the arrogance of the enemy... I'll give you all this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no. Worship only the Lord your God. So it's no surprise that no sooner we confidently stride in the things of faith than we trip over obstructions and fall over bruising our knees and our elbows. And we are tempted to say, where is God? Where is God? What's he doing? This isn't what I signed up for. You didn't read the book. That's exactly what you signed up for. To live for Jesus Christ no matter what. To take up your cross no matter what. To lay down your life for Jesus, no matter what. We didn't sign up for a cozy life. We didn't sign up for being wrapped up in cotton wool. And sort of glide serenely through life. We were signed up to the mission field. We were signed up for the battleground. 
the encouragement of the word of God is that God is for us. So who can stand against us? Psalmist in the Old Testament, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And in those days, if you lifted your eyes to the mountains, because we, we see that in 21st century eyes, or I do at least. I lift my eyes to the mountains. They're beautiful, the mountains. I picture snow-capped mountains. Or sometimes I picture the glorious sunset behind the mountains. The psalmist, when he looks to the mountains, would see the shrines of Baal and Asherah and all the occultic practices where people would go up to the high places and bow down and seek help from their gods and try and wake up their gods because they'd fallen asleep. Where does my help come from? I look to the hill. That's not where my help comes from. I'm going to not look anywhere else for help than to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In his psalm, there are three possibilities for harm to the pilgrim. People who walking may slip, lose their footing and trip. Person who is walking may be exposed to sunstroke, the hot sun of the day. Or a person who's walking may be exhausted, become anxious. And that's the meaning of being harmed by the moon at night, if you've ever wondered. How can the moon harm you? I can understand the sun, because it's hot, especially in, in Israel. The moon, it's, it's the talking about anxiety. Yet the psalm says, he will not let your foot slip. The sun shall not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Are we to conclude that Christians never have accidents, never get ill, never have emotional problems? It's not true. It's plainly not true. I remember meeting a Christian who, who actually held that as a real, real tenet of their faith. I am not, they were plainly ill. I mean, really ill, coughing and spluttering and nose dribbling. And, I'm not ill. I don't get ill. The Lord is my healer. I understand what she was saying, but I had to say, you're not very well. <laughs> Took the risk of being accused of lack of faith. I mean, let's get real. We get ill. We stumble and fall. So what does this psalm mean then? Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Five times in this psalm, God is referred to as the Lord. It's his personal name, Yahweh. I am. It's the words that Jesus took upon himself again and again. I am, I am, I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Abraham existed, I am. That's what he said. Claiming to be God. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary and burdened, come to me. He promises to be with us always. Peter encourages disciples to cast their burdens onto Jesus because he cares for them. And Paul, in the reading that we had, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where do we go for help? 
we self-reliant, we sort it out to the best of our abilities. I don't believe the psalm is saying that we will never trip or fall or fall ill or face difficulties. But that God will be there for us. And he will cause no evil to happen to us. We will not be in the hands of the enemy. We are always in his hands. Romans 8. No distress, no power, neither life nor death. Nothing in all creation can separate us. From the love of God in Christ Jesus. So whenever we are tempted. Because the enemy will tempt us. Where has God gone? Imagine if it was true for a moment that God had gone somewhere. We'd all be lost. God's gone off somewhere. He holds the universe. He sustains it by his word. He's not going off anywhere. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over our lives all the time. And he cares for us. I don't always feel that. No, you may not always feel it, but it is true. Do we listen more to our feelings or do we listen to the truth? So many Christians live beleaguered lives. Because they have not believed the gospel. The gospel sets you free. Your sins are forgiven. And if you fall again, come back. Repent. And ask for his forgiveness again. Seek his help. Over the things that so easily trip us up. his promise to protect us from evil we pray in the prayer that Jesus taught lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil I believe that that prayer is answered many times a day for all of us unawares that he is delivering us and leading us and guiding us another quote from Eugene Peterson all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship Unless it gets inside. All the water in every ocean can't sink one ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets inside. See, nothing can happen to us, not even death. Not even death itself that will get in between us and God. Unless we choose to walk away, of course. We have the freedom to do that. We can walk away. But if we walk with the Lord, and sometimes we walk in a stumbling way, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can undo what he has done for us as long as we hold and he holds 
And when trouble comes, or illness strikes, or when we make mistakes, or when we are misunderstood, and the enemy comes at those times, because he loves to come at those times. Are you really a Christian? Are you really? Does God really care for you? Exactly the same thing he said to Jesus. Are you really the son of God? He's really pathetic. He doesn't come up with an original line in 2,000 years. And we still get taken in by it. Is God really there for you? Oh, is he? Oh. Because we haven't listened to this. We haven't dusted it off. What does God say? Spiritual warfare. It's part of discipleship. But if we stay close to God's word, has God spoken to you recently? That's always a great question to ask anybody. The simple answer is, if you've read a verse of this, he has. Sometimes we want the lightning. Uh, has God spoken to you? The earth, you know, separated. And he speaks all the time. The life of a disciple, follower of Jesus Christ, is not an escape. You know, we, we make a commitment and then we just wait for heaven. We enlist in the eternal battle till he returns or calls us home. And that discipleship is worked out every day. But in the going for God, we walk on the same ground as everybody else. We breathe the same air as everybody else. We're subject to the same pressures as everybody else. But the difference is every step we take, every breath we breathe, we know that God is with us. Because he says so. And as we read earlier, if he is for us, who can stand against us? He will keep us from all evil. So if you feel at all a failure this morning, or if you have felt a failure, hear God's word to you again. And resolve in your own life to believe God than to believe the lies of the enemy or even the untrustworthy feelings we may have from time to time. Make a stand to listen to the scriptures. Paul's charge to his young, as he called him, son in the faith, fight the good fight, take hold of the eternal life, run the race, is what we're called to do and to be. And remember that we're committed ourselves to the most important cause there can ever be, the cause of Jesus Christ. We are engaged in the most important mission that there ever has been on planet Earth, to save the lost. And we serve the greatest leader in all history, and we are privileged to call him friend.
Just live by the word of God. And though trouble comes, it is only temporary. God's word is eternal. Don't really know how to end it, but say, let's make a stand. I think all of us relate to this at some point or another. The enemy would love to rob you. Let's not give him the pleasure. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and we want to say thank you for your word because we have it in our hands. We can read for ourselves your promises and give us faith to make a stand to say we will believe this. We don't understand it all but we will stand on the word of God because we would rather trust your word than anyone else's. And give us a love for your word. Where our love for the word has grown cold, we've neglected it. Give us a love once again. And Lord, I pray that anyone here who has felt a failure, the enemy has come, Pray that they would hear your word this morning, that you love them, you are for them, and you want them to make a stand for you, for your kingdom, for your church, your rescue team in this world. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you amongst us. As we respond in just the songs of worship, we open our hearts to you and pray that you'll just come and begin to minister your grace to us. I'm going to ask Sally and the band to come back and lead us. After the service, we've put out some chairs.